uh, today for college basketball. Michigan gets three votes in the coaches' poll. And Urshi, what were they? 30? 42, 42 in the AP. AP, and they're 32nd in the country. Ahead <laughs> of USC. Wim- women's basketball got four votes in the AP as well. So, Very basketball, good. turn around. All right, we have basketball tomorrow night live at the sports stream and DSRs Tuesday and Wednesday. No shows Thursday and Friday because of the holiday. For Rushi Vias, Andrew side, JK, I'm Rob Salomon. I'll talk to you again next Monday night. Until then, from Ann Arbor, good night. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. Harris, top of the key to Sims, guarded tightly by Aboya. Now it's right. Off a screen, Douglas, NBA range, three! Stu Douglas, Michigan leads. Wow, I thought, when he shot that, I thought there's no way. There's absolutely no way that goes in. But now Michigan has a one-point lead again. 49-48. Here's Collison. Trapped by Wright and Douglas. Now Michael Roll, he's been quiet. Key for the near quarter. The elbow, Holiday, far quarter, Collison, a three, doesn't go, and what a rebound to Deshaun Sims. Shot is long, rebound tapped up into the air, into the hands of Grady, Michigan has it, yeah, up Grady, by two points. Grady's got to settle it down, I, I don't I don't like Grady in the game with the ball in this situation. Grady driving all the way to the basket, no foul called, Harris still has it, plenty of time on the shot clock, 20 to shoot. Michigan very lucky not to get called for an offensive foul with Grady driving to the basket. Or a travel. 18 seconds, the differential between the game and shot clock. Michigan holding a two-point lead, trying to get it to a... Oh, back door! Sims! He slams it! Oh, baby! Four-point game, there's still 28 points. Slam it home to Sean! Oh, boy. Four-point game, 20 seconds still left. Putting a tie for UCLA. Here's Keith, top of the key. Holiday in the near quarter. Michigan cannot... Well, it's a little after six... 30 p.m. and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And folks, uh, be a little careful out there. I know some people are getting out of Dodge, but uh, don't forget how to drive in the winter. Or walk. Or walk. It's a little patchy. It's not too bad, but there are ice patches. Take your time. You're not going to get there much faster by driving 10 miles faster, it's a complete myth. You need to study your physics. Think about it. If you drive to Joe Lewis from Ann Arbor, 45 miles, the difference between going uh, 70 and 75 is negligible. It's about two minutes. So don't fly around there like, well, like those turkeys behind Sarah Palin. I'm going to give her a brain damage award for having a press conference while turkeys are being, did you see that? No. Put into the hopper. No way. Yeah. She's having a press conference talking about policy in Alaska. Absolutely incredible. Turkeys were being beheaded with blood oozing through. My Lord. Into a trough. I mean, this woman is incorrigible. Well, of course, she talked a lot about, you know, uh, her helicopter hunting. And, uh, of course, Alaska people up there do hunt a lot and eat a lot of what they hunt. But what a bizarre scenario for a press conference. Yeah. It was like a TV interview or something, and it was just the most bizarre thing because Sarah didn't look quite as made up as usual. Her hair was a little, little messy and... She was kind of winking and nodding into this kind of goofball that looked like he was out of the movie Fargo behind her. 
while this guy's stuffing live turkeys into a beheading machine. <laughs> Unbelievable. This is her vision of the future, perhaps. I guess so. I mean, why she's even getting any media attention, I mean, she's it's over. Yeah. She's done. She'll be back at the next Republican convention, I doubt, as a uh, candidate of any stature, but uh, she certainly found her niche saying, you betcha to the uh, American people, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, Christian right. But uh, why anybody's covering her is a little hard to grasp. Yeah, well, I think she was counting on the fact that Stevens was going to somehow win that Senate seat. <laughs> he narrowly lost. He was obviously convicted uh, shortly before the election. And as the votes were all counted, uh, he's now been declared the loser. And uh, Palin, who apparently was eyeing the U.S. Senate, which is a frightening prospect since she seems to know nothing about either national or international news. We'll have to deal with Alaska's problems. And they have problems, as so many other places in America do. Well, uh, just to kind of keep on the theme of brain damage awards, um, last week, of course, I went on a tirade about the bailout for the uh, auto industry, or the bridge loan, and I think that we will see a bridge loan uh, in January of 2009. But to fly down to Washington in the private jets, big blunder. And personally, I don't know if I would have had Bob Nardelli, uh, who is the CEO of Chrysler, which is owned by this private hedge fund conglomerate called Cerebrus, which uh, my Greek mythology seems to... Uh, Cerebus? Yeah. That's the uh, three-headed three dog, dog that, that guards hell. That's right. <laughs> Might want to change the name. I, I don't know. Uh, John Snow, of course, is connected with that group. He's the former Treasury Secretary. But I've been reading a book, uh, just about done with it. This is an outstanding book by David K. Johnston, uh, Free Lunch, How the Wealthiest Americans Enrich Themselves at Government Expense. Stick you with the bill. Just to give you an idea of uh, Bob Nardelli's uh, pedigree, I'll just read this uh, bizarre paragraph uh, from the book. This is from a chapter called None Dare Call It Stealing. And the essence of this book, by the way, is that uh, corporate welfare is rampant in, in America, that uh, corporations get huge tax cuts and uh, welfare thrown to them by the government. Corporate socialism. as Basically. And uh, taxpayers uh, get the tab. Um, and just for the record, this, you know, t today we had another big bailout of uh, Citigroup. Stock market uh, apparently likes the uh, concept of corporate welfare. It went way up today following Friday's uh, announcement of the Obama Treasury team. And it was fascinating because just on Thursday, every stock in the Dow uh, was down except GM, which just days before had one expert declared uh, GM stock uh, worthless. But anyway, Bob Nardelli uh, used to be the CEO of Home Depot. And Johnston writes, and by the way, Johnston's been writing on these tax uh, economic inequality issues for many years at the New York Times, and he is an outstanding analyst, great, uh, what I'd call old-fashioned sort of shoe leather reporter who can look up the facts both on websites but also dig into the uh, 
dungeons of uh, corporate America. Johnston writes, the poster boy for being overpaid for negative performance is Bob Nardelli. He left GE for the Home Depot, which turned out to be the best thing that could have happened for its, its major competitor, Lowe's. Nardelli, like many executives, paid attention to numbers, not people. For a while, numbers like total sales and profits improved, but that is not sustainable without good people. Those helpful Home Depot workers who can show you tricks and warn you about uh, do-it-yourself mistakes that can ruin your new fixture felt no respect once Nardelli came. To make the bottom line look better, Nardelli cut many of them from full-time to part-time. The best of them migrated over to the competition. Nardelli felt no need to restrain his own pay. He made $38.1 million in 2006. And his contract guaranteed him a $3 million bonus no matter what. The annual uh, meeting for Home Depot shareholders in 2006 proved a turning point. It was held in Delaware, not Atlanta, where the company is headquartered. No one from the board attended. Nardelli treated the owners brusquely. In less than a year, he was out. But he left with a stunning package. $210 million. This is symptomatic of emblematic, symbolic of uh, exactly what is terribly wrong here in the United States with corporate CEO compensation completely out of whack and these systemic uh, economic problems that simply won't go away. I'll just state for uh, the record, uh, by the way, that uh, this recent bailout of AIG, which was deemed too big to fail, we've heard this repeated uh, over the weekend, with respect to Citigroup, too big to fail. Um, American International Group, AIG, has received more money from the Fed and the Treasury Department, I guess is more accurate, in the last uh, two or three weeks, two or three, uh, eh, six to eight weeks is more accurate, than 75% of Americans pay in federal taxes in a year. This is just staggering in terms of how much money is just being thrown around. And, of course, we learned last week that quite a lot of the money isn't being thrown around, that Paulson has closed the book, so to speak, to some degree. The money is not really flowing, and uh, there continue to be just staggering economic problems. Well, how anybody could be worth that kind of money for that kind of work is uh, boggles the mind, uh, let alone how shareholders could agree to such contracts. Yeah. Um, and, and that's true in other fields as well. Uh, we've got a minimum wage. Some have suggested that there should be such a thing as a maximum wage. I mean, beyond a certain number of double-digit millions, how much can you spend or invest in a year? I mean, uh, it's just very bizarre. Um, and economic woes, as you uh, correctly say, uh, state there, are uh, everywhere to be found. One seemingly good piece of news might, in fact, actually be bad in the long run, and that's the low oil prices. Uh, there's some interesting weirdness involving this. Um, 
of course, the oil companies have made huge profits off of the skyrocketing pump prices, whereas the price of oil per barrel has been down for months now, only in the last couple of weeks, and really since the election have we seen uh, the gas prices reflect that lower oil price. Uh, but it's even more complex than that. Um, from Alan Beatty in the uh, November 19th Financial Times, the world's national oil companies expect oil prices to fall further and will, as a result, cancel most planned investment projects, even at current levels. Well, a lot of the oil that's difficult to reach, for example, the shale oil in uh, the, the oil sands up in uh, Alberta, province of Canada, uh, that's only profitable to extract when oil prices are up to a mm -hmm. certain rate. Yep. So therefore, when the oil prices come down per barrel, uh, it's no longer economically feasible for companies to access, process, uh, and begin the procedures to develop those difficult fields. Um, <clears throat> this means long-term shortages mm -hmm. uh, at current usage rates. And Michael Clare, by the way, another uh, famous uh, oil left-wing intellectual has pointed this out, that even the offshore oil drilling that's occurring, for instance, in the Gulf of Mexico, is increasingly more and more difficult to get at. Brazil, for instance, has found huge deposits uh, offshore, but these are much farther out into mm -hmm. the ocean, and it requires much deeper drilling. Yeah, and the problems and difficulties of maintaining the rigs in those conditions are astronomically expensive. Uh, the break-even price for... Uh, the lowest break-even oil price for a lot of these projects was at $60 a barrel, and the highest uh, break-even at about $90 a barrel. So I guess enjoy the low prices while they last. Indeed. I, I think the oil went up considerably today it, it on did. the stock market rally. Yeah, in, indeed it did. <laughs> but there are also there have been some encouraging signs that, and you know, it's not too surprising given the uh, the hardship and the the tendency or the need to. Uh, pinch every penny, uh, there are signs of thrift in an America that was told to consume at full pace when the war in Iraq started. And I'm not saying that we should have gone to fuel rationing or, or anything as intense as that, but, uh, you know, walking to the grocery store uh, when uh, you live close enough uh, is a good way to save a few pennies here and there on the old petrol dollar, and more and more people are doing that. So, Yeah, I mean, there are some good signs. There's obviously been some uh, changes in uh, vehicle preference uh, buying patterns to the extent that people are buying uh, Oh, they can't give the big trucks and uh, SUVs yeah. away. And by the way, you know, the, the German and auto <laughs> or Japanese uh, car companies have seen plummeting sales recently as well. This is not confined just to uh, the big three. And I thought that the... <laughs> I don't know. I thought that the hearings last week were a little, it was kind of kabuki theater. You know, you, you expect people to say certain things no matter what. They don't care what the facts are. They have their positions to maintain. And uh, I think that it's just been strange witnessing Bush over the last couple of weeks because uh, I'm not too sure if he's back on the bottle, but it looks like it. Oh, I think he has been for a while. I saw a photo of him wearing a Peruvian poncho, and I thought, gee, if only that thing were a little bit longer and had a zipper around the bottom, we could just zip. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago. Pack that ago, bag up. Yeah, I mean, just a couple He's of weeks ago. He's in the bag ago, all right. It was interesting when he, uh, 
he was it was on the eve of this little so-called G20 summit in which mm-hmm. all the leaders around the world were coming to Washington um, where uh, one uh, foreign advisor said he's going to be providing the snacks on the venue and making sure that everybody's comfortable, but he's not uh, going to be driving the agenda. That's the reality. The agenda setting is with Gordon Brown and Nicolas Sarkozy and uh, Hu Jintao, which is... So Bush is in charge of something he can manage, the snacks. The snacks. No pretzels. Pretzels, peanuts, popcorn, Cracker Jacks, whiskey. Get your Red Hots. But literally on the day before the summit, Bush bopped up to Wall Street. He delivered a sort of impassioned, to quote the reporter, defensive free market capitalism. On Thursday, on the eve of the International Summit, where he's expected to get a tongue lashing from foreign leaders who view the United States and his administration as responsible for the worldwide financial misery. Um, Bush, in a defiant declaration, uh, decided to declare that the American system is, quote, the engine of social mobility. And, quote, the crisis was not a failure of the free market system. And the answer is not to try and reinvent the system, Bush said in a 24-minute speech at Federal Hall in downtown Manhattan. He added, free market capitalism is far more than economic theory. It is the engine of social mobility and the highway to the American dream. Um, Talk about... Bad metaphor. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Talk about a guy that's sort of divorced from reality. Uh, there, of course, was uh, some good news in terms of the response of the lame duck session of Congress. They extended some unemployment benefits. But as uh, our engineer Andrew was pointing out, the day before, Bush was determined to veto that bill until somebody slapped him around up in the Oval Office and said, Now, Mr. President, you're gone in 60 days. Why don't you wake up? Why don't you have a heart? Why don't you go see the Wizard of Oz and see if you can get both a heart and a brain and some courage? Because uh, the man is AWOL. I think I humorously remarked a couple of weeks ago that he's looking more and more like Norman Mailer (laughs) as he appears before the cameras, if he appears at all. Right. And where on earth is... Dick Cheney, what's what's he been doing for the last? Well, he could be busily engaged in uh, what Oliver North and company used to call shredding parties. Yeah. I imagine there's quite a lot of documentation to dispose of uh, in the Cheney camp. But um, yeah, I mean, how many people were actually in that hall when Bush delivered the speech? I, I can only imagine a crowd full of people just sitting there and making small talk to each other as he yammers on up at the front of the crowd. Uh, clearly, he's got nothing to say, and he's saying it. Um, however, one area where Bush may be seeing an increase in popularity is uh, as the man the world loves to hate. Uh, last Friday in Baghdad, there was a very large rally, uh, 10,000 Iraqi, more than 10,000 Iraqis, uh, in which she was basically hung in effigy. Uh, symbolically enough, from the very 
podium upon which the statue of Saddam Hussein was yanked down uh, in those exciting, hazy, crazy early days of the war when uh, photographs were shown of this triumphal moment where the uh, statue was bent over at the shin, basically, as about three dozen Iraqis stood around and, you know, sort of... uh, paid homage to the moment well the photos from this last friday at the same point of course the statue was pulled down by an american tank right (laughs) after they'd hung an american uh, flag over its face and then realized oh that doesn't look good they took that off and yanked the statue over so a very large crowd uh saying uh, no to this security agreement which, uh, by the way, I wonder, even if the Iraqi government fully approves this, and they have yet to do so, uh, there's a lot of questions about it. This suggests that the U.S. will uh, maintain a sizable military presence until the end of 2011. Yeah. Well, this seems to be uh, rather absurd because Obama's suggestion is to exit well before 2011. Mm-hmm. So all this rush on the Bush administration's part to get Maliki to uh, you know, approve this is only going to, I mean, it's going to be a short-term gain, but a long-term loss because it's going to burn a lot of political bridges, forgive the expression, uh, in Iraq. The Sunnis, of course, are reluctant to see uh, the U.S. leave because, well, the Shias have been the net gain winners of America's involvement in uh, Iraq. And uh, it says here in this article in the New York Times by Stephen Farrell that Sadrist, uh, Mokhtar al-Sadr uh, officials, uh, say they oppose the security agreement because they don't believe assurances that Americans would ever leave. And when you look at how much building of U.S. bases has gone on in Iraq throughout this occupation, it's easy to see why they think that. Mm-hmm. These are some of the biggest military bases in the world. And and they're part of this disturbing archipelago of American military bases that's part of the Cold War legacy that I think at last count, I and I'm giving a rough ballpark figure on this, but it's staggering to realize that there are still something like 750 American military bases scattered around the globe, and I think the last count on the number of countries is 141. Um, the the one thing that I find most troubling about the uh, sort of discussions going on regarding these these transition ideas is that I don't hear any substantive discussion of cutting the Pentagon, right? Which should be agenda item number one. Uh, I am, yes, all in favor of a Keynesian-style economic stimulus package. Uh, They have to provide a stimulus package because the Federal Reserve, as I have correctly, in my opinion, uh, pointed out over the last month, has made a terrible mistake cutting interest rates this early. Mm. They are out of ammunition. They have no options. They really can't cut from one to Mm. zero. It doesn't work. The Japanese discovered this problem in the 90s and why America's repeating this mistake is is beyond me. In fact, to encourage savings, they should actually been, be increasing uh, interest rates slightly. Um, it's staggering what these American banks are uh, paying out in terms of uh, benefits on savings accounts, whereas they're being given... Oh. Well, just billions and billions. As an example, I mean, you've talked about the number of bases around the world, the number of countries that have U.S. bases. You know, we still have uh, 
dozens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of troops in Germany and Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on top of that, there's... Little and Japan. And Japan. And interestingly, it's the Koreans, Germans, and... Uh, Japanese, where we might be buying all of our cars from in the future. Uh, <laughs> if we know, lose that capacity here. If we lose the right. capacity here, it's not going to happen. But uh, I, I guess there are some senators in Alabama who, who think that it should. Well, here's just an example of the bird brain sort of lunacy that goes on at the Pentagon. And, of course, listeners are no doubt familiar with the $800 toilet seats of yesteryear. Mm -hmm. Uh, But here's a bizarre thing that I find deeply troubling. Uh, And this article by James Hanna in uh, Saturday's uh, Ann Arbor News here about uh, spy technology. U.S. military engineers are trying to design flying robots disguised as insects that could one day spy on enemies and conduct dangerous missions without risking lives. These are they starting with bird-sized robots, and as soon as 2015, uh, they plan on developing the insect-sized models, and there's a cute little picture of one here. Now, this seems like science fiction and probably to the video gaming community. Sounds kind of cool. But there's really no substitute, as far as intelligence on the ground goes, for knowing the language right. and having cultural connections. And now, having actual human intelligence. Human beings on the ground who speak the language, who read the newspapers, who, who know the culture of the areas in question, there's no substitute for that. And I don't know how many billions of dollars are going to be poured into this bizarre and even insane idea to make thumbnail size flying robots. Mm-hmm. What's this going to do for the world? Well, uh, I guess they're downsizing from the drones. <laughs> and of course, we've seen in recent weeks that the intelligence that the American military utilizes in Afghanistan slash Pakistan seems to be wrong a good percentage of the time. Um, there have been literally hundreds of civilians killed in bombings, uh, many actually perpetrated by drones, unmanned drones yeah. that apparently are are operated by uh, human beings thousands of miles away who have decided, oh, there they are. <laughs> the bad guys, as the uh, Air Force uh, spokesman here says. If there's a possibility of bad guys in a certain building, how do we find out this technology would fill the void? By identifying and assaulting adversaries more precisely, these tiny robots would also help reduce or avoid civilian casualties. And, of course, it was recently revealed just before the election, by the way, uh, speaking of spying and the uh, propensity for our national homeland security uh, CIA slash uh, intelligence so-called agencies. Blob. Yeah. They're the blob that get all the money. Um, it turns out just, you know, a month ago, it was revealed by ABC News that the eavesdropping on citizens, and this is this is just staggering, it says that phone calls from American soldiers, aid workers, and journalists in Iraq were reported to have been tapped and stored by military agents supposedly searching for terrorist intelligence leads. Two of the listeners told ABC News that the illicit snooping degenerated into amusement, with the analysts swapping transcriptions of pillow talk, phone sex, and other instructive details on the lives of hundreds of ordinary Americans. The only thing that's kind of, I mean, you know, this is the truth of 
the obsession with spying and FISA and the whole concept. The only thing that I find kind of amusing about this, to the extent that it's amusing, is it's the exact sort of spying intelligence that the burglars got during the Watergate scandal. When they were over in the Howard Johnson with their little <clears throat> phone taps and pieces of tape. Listening into the uh, secretarial banter yeah. at the uh, Democratic Party. In fact, uh, they, they, were, they made a Who's report. Who's sleeping with who? Well, about the dating habits of the secretaries that worked at the DNC. <laughs> <laughs> and one can just imagine Gordon Liddy, that washed-up terrorist, and E. Howard Hunt, the man with the limp and the famous fake wig, <laughs> as well as those other veterans of the Bay of Pigs, um, fascinated by this... Uh, these titillating details of the dating tendencies of secretaries at the DNC. But, of course, it's the principle here. Uh, it's a little unclear who on earth or why on earth, why on earth this would be happening through the, you know, the National Security Agency. Talk about a waste of money. Um, well, and if you really think that soldiers talking with wives and loved ones back home are going to slow, I miss you a lot, honey. By the way, you know, our secret bases are here. Yeah. I mean, as if the bases are secret. Right. They're huge. Anything that a grunt knows from being on the ground is known to, to everybody else mm -hmm. in that area. There's no secrecy that's likely to be uh, transmitted in such a conversation. It's bizarre. By the way, another item that I wanted to... We we missed this in the uh, in the campaign discussions of, of uh, a couple of weeks ago. But you know, Jörg Haidar, uh, who was leader of a far right wing Austrian oh, yeah, party, yeah. you know, died recently. Car accident, I believe. Yeah, and it's been revealed that Haidar uh, uh, fifty eight. This is from Reuters, dated the sixteenth of October. Was killed when his car was traveling at about eighty eight miles per hour, or twice the speed limit. <laughs> careened out of control and rolled over several times in the southern province of Carinthia. Now, I don't know if he was driving a volari with a fine Carinthian leather. Rich Carinthian leather. But one can imagine that somebody as macho as your Haidar was enamored with Ricardo Maltaban. <laughs> <laughs> and was certainly driving a volari. But anyway, the thing that's staggering about this is that the uh, ministry, uh, the, the, the party that he was in charge of, the Alliance for Austria's Future, admitted that he was under the influence of alcohol and confirmed media reports that the blood alcohol in Mr. Haidar's blood was four times the legal limit. Well, so, driving twice the legal limit and drinking four times the legal limit, that's, uh, that's how you end up. So he gets a brain damage award. That's what you get for driving a Valari under the influence. Oh, man. Slightly under the influence. Well, you're under the influence of WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and uh, you're listening to Gray Matters. Uh, we're going a little bit over. Jerry Mack is uh, en route. Hopefully he's proceeding safely in the somewhat roads are okay. Pedestrian traffic uh, needs to be a little wary. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure over the next several weeks we'll be able to catch up on some of these strange short items that just, I don't know, continue to be exceedingly troubling. But it was interesting that just a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was reported by the Centers for Disease uh, Control and Prevention that America 
has dropped to 29th globally in infant mortality. And they have a very interesting little graph mm. showing the precipitous decline of America. Uh, frankly, the only two countries that even sort of resemble um, this in terms of decline are uh, the Netherlands, and, and, and even the Netherlands, which ranked second in 1960, 